0: More Than a Crush, a podcast about love. Each week, we pick a theme and share a story about one of the many facets of love. We are your hosts. I'm Marion Bolognese, an artist and designer recording from New York. And I'm Kim Berry, a therapist broadcasting from New Jersey.
1: So this is a fun episode. Kim and I are giving our, what, third round?
0: Uh, Ooh. Fourth? I think it might have been fourth. (laughs) Yes. It's a great theme. It's a fantastic theme. However, tell us what's the theme. The theme is forbidden love.
1: Oh, I mean, come on! Just the way it sounds. It sounds perfect. Forbidden it's love.
0: A perfect theme. Of course, we want to it's, talk about this. It's too perfect. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Because the first few iterations, um, well, we were, we are were brand new podcast. Little I think it's a learning curve. We're little babies we we were really trying to like make the sound right learn the format of how do we tell a story to each other we're gonna we're gonna keep those stories in our back pocket though because they're both fantastic stories it's just not not, not ready for that we're, we're gonna save that recording for like the deep dark files never to be heard by anyone other than us <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I don't think anyone needs to hear it. But, yes, yeah, save the stories, and we will figure it out.
0: But these are brand-new stories that neither of us have told the other one today. So you're, you're going to have a fresh take on the the wonderful theme of forbidden love. Absolutely. And I can't wait.
1: I can't wait to hear what your story is. I
0: can't wait to hear what your story is. You know, and the, the funny thing was when we very first started talking about forbidden love, when we were first beginning recording, when was that, June? May?
1: I guess it was. I, it was May. Uh, it was May. Deep, deep in the early days of, uh, of the
0: pandemic quarantine. Yeah. And I had two, two different stories. Both. I just could not figure out which to tell you. And so, obviously, you know the one story that I told. And then I was like, you know what, this is great. I'll use the other story. Turns out that one is really, really weird and the tone was off. So I scrapped that one also. So I came up with a completely new story. New to me as of this week.
1: Well, I mean, love is not always pretty, right? Like I'm gonna I'm I'm not gonna go first. I really want you to go for first this week, but I'll tell you, like
0: I didn't I'm I'm going dark tonight. Yeah. Yeah, going a little dark. My story has some twists and turns that, like, unveil themselves to me as I as I uh, was researching it. Um, all right, so if I'm going first, can I just jump right in? Please, go for it. Okay. So, do it. Let's do it. I always like to share the backstory of, like, how, you know, how and why I came to this particular, to land on this story. And, um... I, so like I was saying, I was researching this other, so I'll tell you what it is. I'm probably never going to tell it, but I, I, I was really fascinated a long time ago about this idea that there was like men who were in love with their cars and, um, and And I was like, oh, this is, this is great. That's definitely forbidden. Right. Then I was like, I already did a story on like sexual paraphilias. And it's also the, just the tone is weird because I don't want to be telling a story where I feel like I'm mocking anyone at all. But there's a lot of humorous elements, but not, I don't know. It doesn't feel like I'm always laughing with the participants of the story. So (laughs) I was just like, this one gets nixed. But for the rest of you, if you're interested, uh, you can uh, Google Edward Smith of Yelm, Washington, and there's tons of information about that guy and his uh, Volkswagen bug. Vanilla. So he's
1: he's in love. Vanilla. Vanilla.
0: That's a second name. But that's not what this. That's, that's not the story tonight. Uh, that was the one that got the axe. But I feel like it. It, it dedicated so definitely some time until I finally was like, no, 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 no. So then I was like, all right, let's let's uh, you know per use, type into the Google search bar "forbidden love" real life forbidden love. And interestingly enough, one of the, the stories that you and I have recorded. Previously, That we've not yet aired showed up, which is I did never really kind of considered it a forbidden love, but it certainly is. So I, I look forward to when we release that one. But another one on the list was Wallace Simpson and Prince Edward. Oh, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, I remember watching The Crown. Do you watch The Crown? Have you watched The Crown? I don't watch The Crown, but it's
1: wildly popular right now. I know. just so you know, I I've almost done this twice. If you're doing, well, if you're, doing I am, well. I am. Yes, I almost did it twice. Yeah, Great. I almost so, did it for Prince Charming and also for um, Money Can't Buy Love.
0: Yes. So I was thinking, when I, as I'm, you know, doing this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to easily been Prince Charming. Except he was, as it turns out, perhaps not so charming. This is my uh, hot take on Forbidden Love, which is Wallace Simpson and and Prince Edward. And so when I was uh, watching The Crown, I think it's just such a well done Netflix series. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And they have an episode where they talk about who is it, Prince Charles visiting his uncle Edward in France. And I'm just kind of like, who, who, this is very intriguing. She's an American. This the this couple is just a divorcee. Oh, twice, twice Scan- divorced. Scandalabra. Oh, right? so much scandal. Um, I love that you know this too. So you're just going to be feeding me the details if I skip over anything, or perhaps you know more than I do in some in some areas. And I'm just like, who? You know, they're totally just you know shunned. Who are these people? A, a king get, abdicates his throne for you know an American divorce like that it's it, it is it's truly scandalous. So very interested to learn about this. It's also interesting because as it's kind of initially presented, Wallace is this she's this like femme fatale character who totally gets blamed for trying to overthrow the monarchy. But the more I was learning about her, it really turns out that the She's a much more nuanced character. I guess there's like so many different ways to, to tell this story, but I think what I'll do is talk a little bit about their love and then her background, which is, cause the whole time I'm going like, how and why did we even get into this mess to begin with? And the, the more you kind of know about her background, it kind of seems to make sense. So Wallace meets Prince Edward in 1931. And at the time she is, she's married. She's married to Ernest Simpson, and she meets the prince through one of her best friends, Thelma, who is the Countess Furness. And Thelma is also married. So we have these two married women who like to go to tea and be fancy in England, hang out. And Thelma says, listen, I have to go back to America. They're both Americans living living abroad. I have to go back to America for a few months. Will you look after the little man for me while I'm away? That's what she called Prince Edward because she was having an affair. She was a mistress of Prince Edward. Yeah. Prince Edward loved what they were referring to at the time as dollar princesses. Do you know about dollar princesses? Do
1: you ever so heard this about term? new
0: money, American princesses? So there was this whole movement. I don't really know if they considered a movement at the time, but where Britain was just like lousy with land rich but cash poor aristocrats. Right. And
1: they talk about that in to Abbey a lot.
0: Yeah. And so meanwhile Amer- As a matter
1: of fact, the the father and down the, the um the mother is American and she was really wealthy. Well so he had a he she's, had like the estate a, and the title but princess. she had the money. Yeah exactly.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. So then you have these like socialite Americans who are trying to like up their like try to buy titles basically by marrying themselves to these aristocrats to kind of like, uh, be like socially upward, like mobily up, upward. So that's what Thelma was one of these many. And, and honestly, like the the European men ate it up. Cause they're like, these, these women are really, uh, kind of like casual and, and they tend to be kind of fun and educated and definitely just a very different. They're not, uh, you know, tethered by customs and the bureaucracy of like the British culture. Yeah, so, they
1: were fresh. They were new money, and they didn't—they didn't have everything ingrained in them in mm-hmm. the same way. You know, these guys grew up with these these aristocrats. Uh, they this, this is
0: something new, exciting. Yes, totally. They were they were the shiny new <laughs> object. And um, actually, so it turns out, Winston Churchill's mother is a dollar princess. And she's one of the people that was, like, kind of noted as being one of the the first that did this kind of thing. So, anyway, Thelma Dollar Princess. She's a mistress to the prince. And he was such a playboy. Like, he, Prince Edward, was considered very good-looking by those days' standards. He didn't do pretty well in school. He didn't really do very good in anything. He he went to school for a few years, never even came out with a degree. Other than some, like, polo championships, he really had nothing very noteworthy to his neighbor's experience, but he loved his American women, and he had no problem whether they were married or not, and I think actually it probably made it a little bit easier, because they were, you know, preoccupied. They weren't going to stick around. They weren't going to try to, like, you know, clamor for uh, the throne. He just wanted to have his fun with them, and so Thelma was his mistress at the time, and so she's like, please... There's all these other women around. Please just watch out, watch the little man for me. And uh, Wallace was like, "Of course, don't worry about it. She's there with her husband. She's like, Ernest is always hanging around my neck anyway, so don't you don't have to worry about it at all. Like he'll, you know, whatever. So by the time Thelma came back, they're all out to tea again, and she can immediately tell, like, oh no. Wallace and Edward are a thing. And Wallace, um, <laughs> Wallace was kind of cold to the prince. She was, like, you know, very flirty with him, but she, um, you know, she, I think, enjoyed the attention that she was being offered by, you know, the heir apparent of the throne. But she, she wasn't really that into him, and she was kind of cold and distant. And every time she kind of kept him a little bit more at bay, he would just want it that much more. The old very, hard to get. Yes yes very hard to get and which is kind of problematic because you know she's married and meanwhile you know the 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 prince and so this is all being right in front of her husband her husband's fully aware that this is all happening everyone knows now that like wallace has stepped up and is the the royal consort in in many ways and this goes on for years years and years and years until well it continues but then something rather momentous occurs, which is on January 20th, 1936, King Edward, or sorry, no, King George V dies. And Prince Edward now is suddenly king. And this is this is a problem, right? Because it's one thing for a prince to be having an affair, it's kind of another thing for a king. So Wallace is like, and Wallace has been being pressured into having a divorce for quite some time. And it's really interesting because a lot of the information I was getting from is uh, from these interviews by this woman named Ann Seba, who found all of these letters that Wallace had been writing back and forth to Ernest, her second husband, uh, letters that Ernest Simpson, her ex-husband, was writing to his mother. And this whole time, you know, at, at some point, Wallace and Ernest aren't living together anymore and she's really, she's actually starting to frame him as being a bad husband. They were
1: estranged for a long time and, and she was still married while
0: her and Edward were carrying on. Right. Right. So, and she begins, it's kind of, this is where you're a little curious around the motives here because at the same timeline that Wallace is framing her husband, for example, so one of her good friends was this woman named Mary Kirk. She would say things like, Mary, come to the opera with Ernest and I. And then she would just not show up. And then she would turn around and say, do you see that? She goes to the opera with my husband in front of everyone. Like, How dare she kind of like turn it and say like, this is my, my, my friend is dating my husband behind my back. P.S. Remember, Wallace, when you were dating your friend's boyfriend? The prince? Yeah, seriously. Like, everyone is running around with somebody else. Meanwhile, in these letters, she has all of these letters she's writing to Ernest, talking about how she's wistful for their time together in a simpler life, and she misses him, and she misses the way they used to to be, and she's kind of, like, standing at the ruin of uh, what they once had, and she's so sad, and just letter after letter, really fondly recalling not only him, but what they had together. Nonetheless, November 1936 rolls around. So it's not even been a full year since the king has died and Prince Edward has taken the throne and a decree VC has come through on her divorce. So I had to look that up. I was unfamiliar with that, but basically it's, it's all the kind of the legal proceedings saying that this is a divorce that will be going through. prime minister is trying to explain to now King Edward listen, I know you're trying to pressure Wallace to get a divorce. And like, I understand what's going on here. You're going to try to get her to get a divorce and then you're going to try to marry her, but y- you can't do that. That is, you know, it's a, the whole church of England has a long, long history of like who you can and cannot marry and all sorts of rules around that. And he's like, you can't marry a divorcee with living ex-husbands. Apparently there was some sort of hitch where it was like, if you, they were dead. Then you could get married or something. But basically, like this is no, 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 no. This is not kosher. You cannot do this. Obviously, he's he's going. He's pressuring Wallace to get a divorce so he can marry her. And you know, the government is like, no, 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 no. no. You're not going to do this. This isn't good. Uh, paparazzi is just really vilifying Wallace at this point. Um, I mean, they already. They're already pretty wise to her, but they are not a fan of her now. They have uh, headlines that say things like Harpy and the King. And Wallace is literally like drives off, hiding in the back of a chauffeured car, trying to escape the paparazzi. And she flees to France, where she's hiding out in a villa north of Cannes. You know, it's a really rough life for her. (laughs) She's living with her friends, Herman and Catherine Rogers. They'll show up again in a little bit. And while she's there, she is just awful. She's, she's, you know, grieving the life she thought she had, where she was living this lovely life of a socialite in America. You know, she had been married happily, at least with Ernest. Then she was, you know, the mistress of the prince, and, like, life had been good, and everyone was, like, currying, trying to curry favor with her so they could get closer to the king. And now, all of a sudden, everyone hates her. Uh, No one, no one seems to like her. He's really pressuring her to marry him. And it's not at all what she seems to want, you know, this like the playing hard to get has, has gone on a little too far. And she winds up writing a letter to the British government, officially declaring she wants no part in the King. She's not interested in marrying him. So kind of like, this is my attempt at saying, you know, not my problem. This is him. This isn't me. However, you know, her divorce does go through December 11th, 1936 King Edward famously declares his abdication of the throne in a BBC radio broadcast. And there's this line that is just ever quoted. I found it impossible to carry the heavy responsibility and to discharge my duties as a King, as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love right i remember that and so now everyone is like oh king edward gives up the throne he's in love with this woman like he is now just kind of uh exemplified as this truly romantic man oh he is just so fantastic and now they like turn their eyes quickly to wallace and they're like daggers are shooting out of their eyes and they're like you are an interloper you're trying to tear down the monarchy and, and all of this and just, they just they hate her they hate her and they hate her and they hate her and of course because you know they're kind of put on a bit of a ruse right like she's framed her husband in order to move forward with this divorce she runs off to france he's no longer king so he can't stay in england so he goes off to austria so now they're both by themselves i mean like another element of like the forbidden love they can't even be together not yet so he goes off to Austria and the divorce it's finalized in May, 1937 within that same month. By the end of the month, they reunite, they reunite in uh, the Chateau de Conde in France, where they marry within a week or so, June 3rd, 1937. I have to say the, the narrative has been previously Prince Edward, King Edward is the good guy. He's the romantic and Wallace that just that wench, It's just ruining it all, right? But in reality, Prince Edward's an idiot. Like, June 3rd is some like monarch's birthday. So, like, the queen mother was super pissed and was like, that's a real slight. Like, you're going to get married on so-and-so's birthday? Like, you don't do that. No one in the family shows up for this wedding. No one. It's this very small wedding. Herman Rogers actually walks uh, Wallace down the aisle and uh, is one of the individuals who like speaks on behalf of the family to uh, the couple to kind of to the pressing like please they, they wish for privacy at this time etc and for all kind of like the rest of the narrative it's like they just they live off happily ever after you know this couple that were just so in love they just had to like give it all up and like run off to France to be together <laughs> when in reality, it's apparently not so much the case. Now, this is where I was kind of the whole time going, but why would Wallace do this? Like, is she, is she this, like, kind of cold and calculated woman who's just, like, jumping from, like, man to man? Like, what is this all about? And it turns out she had a really rough upbringing. Her parents both came from very wealthy families, but were, like, the poor ones in, the fam- in their, like, otherwise large, wealthy families. Her dad, Tickle Warfield had TB and dies when she's like a tiny little baby. And so Wallace and her mother, actually, so Wallace was born Bessie Wallace Warfield. She didn't go by Wallace, I guess, until she was a little bit older. Wallace and her mom are left penniless, totally broke, and must be taken care of by other wealthy family members. As a young woman growing up in the early 1900s, you know, you weren't really capable. It was, it was not very common to be able to like make your way on your own. So really the only way out for a socialite, because again, she comes from like kind of a a potentially, you know, upper end family, like kind of higher upper class was really just to marry well. So she took the first opportunity that she could to escape this very unstable upbringing by marrying this very Popular, well-known, kind of famous war hero, naval guy, Win Spencer, and they get married in 1916, and she's very young. She's, uh, I think, 20 at the time, and he's a drunk, and he's awful, very mean, very abusive towards her. And they travel a lot, and she goes to China, and she like she gets to see the world and all this. But life is awful, and she separates from him. She kind of just w- is wishing for a way out, and that happens by way of Ernest Sim- Simpson, who she winds up meeting. That winds up being her second husband. So she divorces Win Spencer. I mean, that was pretty scandalous in and of itself. And also, Ernest divorces his first wife to marry Wallace. But n- now they have they have each other. And he was also like part Brit, part American. And that's how they wound up getting themselves to Britain and kind of like wind up making their life there. The whole time that even there, like, they're trying so hard to kind of like upwardly mobile, promote themselves, um, like have staff and servants. The Great Depression, the Wall Street crash happens. They lose so much, so much money and so much like kind of clout that they're really just trying to clamor to kind of keep up with the Joneses. And then that's kind of how I think it kind of Parlays her right into this idea of well, if I'm hanging out with the dollar princesses, and now Prince Edward is very intrigued by me, and as soon as as soon as everyone identifies her as like the woman on the arm of the prince, everyone they become so popular because even they even Ernest is like well now you know using her a little bit to be like well if she's in good graces with the monarchy, then you know this curious favor and all these other connections we have with you know, that social right. scene at the time.
1: It's still advantageous for him, even if it is his wife that he's yes sharing with someone else.
0: Very much so. And then also like, you know, it turns out, you know, we were saying, or I was saying earlier, how Wallace tries to frame Ernest with Mary Kirk, one of her best friends. Apparently it wasn't a hundred percent fabricated because then in November of 1937, after Wallace is married to, uh, Edward, uh, Ernest and Mary Kirk get married themselves. So there must have mm. been some, there must have been something there between the two of them at some point. This What a
1: scandalous crowd. Is, huh? It really is. A lot of like
0: a lot For of the time. Husband switching, a lot of bed swapping. So another interesting piece. So again with like, Ann Seba, the, this woman who wrote a book, I think it's called That Woman. I did not read the book, I just read about her or I watched a lot of her interviews and in some articles that Kind of drew from that. Wallace declares her her love for many many people, and according uh, to these letters, she very much loved Ernest, and it felt really forbidden that she could maintain her relationship with him. She was very much pressured out of that. But another relationship that she really declared her love in these letters is with Herman Rogers, and it's very unsure. Of, and he was married to Catherine, and they were friends. And she stayed with them when they were in exile. And apparently she even asked him, please, you know, I forget how they worded it, but the essence was like, knock me up with a baby because then the king certainly can't marry me. But that did not happen. So she was, you know, she had all these other, these other loves that she proclaimed to her like official biographer. But one that was not her love was Prince Edward. Now, an interesting kind of twist, which is, you know, Prince Edward, King Edward, oh, he's such a good guy. He's so romantic. Uh, He's also a Nazi sympathizer. (laughs) Right. And the more I learned about him, I think that we should be building a statue to Wallace. I mean, she, she accompanied him to visit Hitler. So, I mean, she's, you know. Perhaps uh, also a sympathizer, a Nazi sympathizer, but like he had, uh, he actually never thought that Britain should go to World War II. He thought that uh, everyone should just, as he, like quote unquote, sit on a fence and let the Reds and the Nazis battle it out. And he had all sorts of very anti Semitic things that he said around what was happening in Europe at that time during World War II. He goes and he, and that's the other thing too. So he, since he's been like abdicated and, or since he abdicated himself and he runs off, everyone in the family's pissed at him. He has an allowance, but like no one wants anything to do with him. And meanwhile, he loves Germany because when he goes there, they're all about the pomp and circumstance for him. And they're like, make a big to do. So he loves going there and like hobnobbing with the Germans. And who are the Germans at the time? Nazis and Hitler. Nazis. So yeah. there's all these pictures where they're like, you know, doing the Nazi salute, and he's quoted multiple times, like before and after, being like, "Hitler's a fine chap," which is no <laughs> <Jesus>. wrong. Like, <laughs> there's no way you can twist that.
1: No, he's not. He's not a fine chap. He's the definition of a not yes, fine chap. a not
0: fine chap.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you look in the dictionary next to not a fine chap there's a picture of. there's quite a
0: few pictures but he would definitely be one (laughs) and it's kind of scary to think like what would have happened if he had remained on the throne like what if wallace hadn't been this vilified temptress that like pulled him away from his role uh whatever whatever but um so it's very interesting because i think as as the story unfolds there's so many different levels of like forbidden right like Prince Edward was not supposed to be falling in love with a twice-divorced American socialite. So that's, like, a, one element there. Meanwhile, it seems like Wallace really still wanted to be with Ernest. That's another layer. But then also there's all these others. Like, she loved Herman Rogers. And then this name, like, Philippe, just kept showing up everywhere. And I'm like, but who is he? I couldn't get the backstory. Do you know about this? Did you hear? Did that come up for you? No, I don't know
1: anything about I don't know her her
0: past well history. A- apparently um she had contempt for him for edward like in public she'd be very respectful she'd refer to him as the duke because they became when they when they ran away they became duke and duchess of windsor uh he was still able to be called your highness but she was not there's you know it's all the rules and regs of being a royal and i was listening to this one podcast called biographic and that was the same one where you know they said, uh, Edward was like, oh yeah, Hitler, super fine dude, like, love him. They said that they, basically, till their dying day, they only had three things in common. Golf, fascism, and casual racism. And I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome! You guys are, you know what, the two of you, Jesus. the two of you are made for each other, so you both got what you <laughs> wanted. Um, and apparently when <laughs> Edward died in 1972, he had cancer, and he died, uh, with a nurse by his side and like his last in his last breaths, he said, Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. And she was nowhere to be found. Cause she was like, I'm going I had enough with you. I never wanted to marry you. <laughs> and that is the forbidden love of Wallace Simpson and Prince Edward forbidden, super forbidden, super forbidden,
1: such a huge scandal at that time. Right. I mean, it, it was a big deal. Yeah. on Many levels.
0: I mean, I can't even Um, imagine, considering what a big deal it was with Meghan Markle now. Right. Yeah. And I I would imagine we're, like, mildly more progressive almost 100 years later.
1: I I mean, and look at it, right? He's kind of abdicating. He's not, I mean, he wasn't going to be king, but Harry's, you know, done with it. He doesn't want he doesn't want to, he doesn't want his, his his title anymore, right? Or he, he, did he give up his title completely? I don't know. I don't think
0: so. But I will say this. The nice thing is I mean He
1: did. He gave up. He's, he, he's moving to Canada and he doesn't want, or now to LA and he doesn't want to have, which we were joking about. He did that right in the middle of the pandemic. Like you can only, you have to be of so much privilege to be like, you know what? I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to move to the epicenter of the pandemic and I can do that. Then I can, I'll bring my staff with me because you know, I'm a prince. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that Prince Harry stood up for Megan. And when she's getting bashed in the headlines and the paparazzi, he really stands up and he's like, I'm not going to, we're not going to stand for this versus, you know, Edward was like, I love her so much. I'm going to leave the throne and also throw her to the wolves. And it just seems like she was that, that narrative, she was just marred and he ate it up the fact that he was considered this like romantic figure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, she was scorned, but that's also just, you know, man versus woman at that time oh, yeah. and still to this day you know so it's misogyny. always yeah exactly i know i and i and i and i like that harry stands up for megan and he also just seems like a decent decent royal mm-hmm. right
0: and you love gingers so i know i know. <laughs> I know. Whatever.
1: Just waiting for that so i went on a little bit of a different route let's hear it i'm excited so, I don't know if you heard the story also took place in UK. Twins that were separated at birth got married and didn't know that they were twins until after they got married.
0: Wait, they got married to each other? Yes. Wait, what? No, tell me! I don't know any of this! This is amazing! Yeah, so,
1: 2008... There was all this news surrounding this. There's not very much information about it because they were left anonymous, which I think is a good thing. These twins that had been separated at birth, and they use this as a big argument for why paternity should be disclosed in adoptions. Mm-hmm. Neither of them knew who their birth parents were, and they met. Now, now, can you imagine, you know, you, we talk about this twin connection, mm-hmm. That, that people have in this really fond and loving and sweet way. Well, imagine if you've never met someone before and then all of a sudden you meet them and you have an instant connection with them. If you don't know that they're your sibling, you very easily, you know, mistake that bond that you're feeling I mean, I for so romantic late. love. Yeah, exactly. So apparently they met, they fell in love and they um, got married. And then shortly after they got married, they found out that they were, in fact, twins separated at birth. They found out the, the identity of their biological parents, and they got an annulment. Apparently, this is a phenomenon. Obviously, it doesn't happen very frequently, but it does happen. And there was another couple in Brazil who were brother and sister who were also separated in birth at birth. Not at birth, they were also separated. They're they're several years apart. So, I think one of them was like eight, and the other one was two or something. And they they knew that their mother's name was Maria. They both knew that their mother's name was Maria. But it's a very common name. It's Brazil. It's a very common name. Yeah. So, they were already married and had a six year old daughter when they found out that they were siblings oh my goodness and they're still together they're you know i mean at that point what are you gonna do they 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 um you know defend their love was they didn't know
0: was their daughter of good health
1: it it seems like she is perfectly fine okay but so this took me down this road you know i like i i didn't feel that there was enough to the information that was out there on these two incidences to really build a story on that. But there certainly is plenty of information as to, you know, instances of incest in history.
0: I was love and thinking you know, that's the, very royal.
1: To, exactly. So royal families were, yeah. They blamed Queen Victoria with hemophilia mm-hmm. because her bloodline was so, was so contaminated with hemophilia. And then that went on to Tsar Nicholas. Mm-hmm. What is that? Respute. That whole family. Yeah. That whole family. They were plagued with hemophilia. And then very famously the um,
0: Habsburgs, right? Mm-hmm. You know about the
1: Habsburgs. Well,
0: one of them what did it like it led to like physical deformities, correct?
1: Well, yeah, serious physical deformities, but also it just completely ended their bloodline. Like they were so filthy with incest for lack of a better term that they just you know so illnesses are a problem but then in addition to that deformations and infertility infertility is a huge marker of incest so a lot of times after many cases of incest within a family the products of that incest will just be infertile mm-hmm. anyway so yes yeah, so the Hatsburg,
0: too close too close
1: yeah the Habsburg dynasty, which was hugely married into almost every family and royal family in Europe for six centuries, became so linear, I guess I yeah. like how do you say so linear that they they became completely infertile and and ended their reign completely because there was no there were no heirs due to incest and yes, they were crazy looking. Yeah, it had all sorts of abnormalities and ailments and afflictions. And everybody was sick. All these people were sick, just, like, falling apart. Apparently there's a portrait. I can't remember who the portrait is. I know I, Charles I, II of Spain was a big... Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's exactly
0: what it is. case soon you started talking about it, that's what the picture I have in my mind. I remember learning about it in art history class. Right.
1: So it wasn't... Uh, like, this isn't just, you know... European royal families, like, this is, this is, it's so funny, because now, you know, we take, we have to take blood tests when we want, well, we don't have to, but oftentimes we take blood tests when we are having babies, right? And I know that I had something, some crazy thing, and when my husband's results came in, we were very happy that he didn't have it. Now, just imagine if I was, right, so if I'm the carrier, so if I'm a carrier, and I'm, going to have a child with my cousin, right? There's that much closer, like there's that, just Mm -hmm. it's math, it's simple math, right? The likelihood that they may also be a carrier is much more high than if I am to have a baby with someone who is completely separate from my bloodline from different origins, like completely different, dna right mm-hmm. it's just it's it's just that that diversity helps us hello everybody the diversity helps us it's a good thing being with people who are different from us is good it's is. Is good <laughs> Take <laughs> um, message. Anyway. yes yeah take that message please you don't same 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 is not good we need to mix things up anyway so it's just like simple math This was all over royal families of every kind all over the place, not just Europe. Hawaii, the royal family of Hawaii, I don't know if you know about this, Mm -hmm. but there's a famous romantic love story about the first royal family of Hawaii and Princess Nahienaena famously married her brother. Or no, I'm sorry, she didn't marry her brother. She wanted to marry her brother who she was very much in love with. But the missionaries who were, you know, they, it was a, a cross-section at this period of time where Hawaiian culture was being sort of taken over by these Christian missionaries, while well, they were also simultaneously trying to build up the monarchy. Mm. So they wanted there to be a monarchy. They wanted it to be, you know, a kingdom, but they wanted it to be a Christian kingdom, mm. right? So their ancestors fully believe that you should keep the bloodline strong by marrying your brother. Hmm. So the chiefs of the chiefs supported that. However, the missionaries not so much so they forbade it, but apparently she managed to get around, around it and still had her brother's baby. Didn't end up working out so well. So in Hawaiian royalty, they dealt with this and then, and like the hierarchy before, you know, it was a monarchy. That was a tradition in Egypt. Right. We know that that was a big Mm -hmm. thing. And Tutankhamen, supposedly, you know, there's all this mystery surrounding Tutankhamen's death and all the like maybe he died in a chariot race. Maybe he was killed by someone else who wanted his throne.
0: He was young when he when he passed, right?
1: Nineteen, they think. In all likelihood, he probably died because his parents were siblings and he was super poor health. He was yeah, he had all these issues and they've like this reconstruction or this um rendering of what he probably looked like based on analysis of his skeleton and he he could be a Habsburg. He had some serious problems, he had a lot of deformities, unfortunately. Poor guy, you know. He couldn't walk, he had a club foot, he had wide feminine hips. I don't know what, what that has to lucky him. Um, <laughs> Good child bearing <buried laughs> hips
0: on a man.
1: <laughs> yeah, he really fills out
0: those, those cloths, those linens.
1: Yeah, and he also was married to his sister, and they had a child who died immediately, mm. which was the case. This happened all the time. But my my main story tonight, my main, fo- main focus tonight, is not on the, these royal families and this you know long line of incest that has plagued. The uh, dynasties uh, throughout history, but one particular instance that I thought was very curious and interesting, and that is Charles Darwin. Did you know that Charles Darwin was married to his first cousin?
0: I I do now. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yes, Charles Darwin was married to his first cousin Emma, and they had a very happy marriage, a very long and happy marriage, and they had ten children. I just found this to be very interesting because he was a scientist, right? We call him the father of evolution. You know, he was a very rational man, and he handled everything sort of in a scientific nature and scientifically. And he it took him a long time to decide whether to get married or not, and he waited until he was 29 years old, which I think was fairly late for the 1830s yeah. when he was married. He made a list of pros and cons, and, and he came to the conclusion that he should get married. It was it was worth his while to get married, but that he should marry someone that he knew well and that he trusted and he already was very fond of. And the person he primarily thought of who fit that criteria was his cousin, Emma Wedgwood. They were first cousins, and they grew up very close. Uh, their families were very close. They spent a lot of time together, and their families were extremely supportive of this. Hmm. It was a very incestuous family, both very wealthy families, and, you know, they were basically doing what the royals did, and that's keeping that that bloodline strong.
0: Keeping it in the family.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't only keep the bloodline in the family, you also keep all the money in the family. That's also convenient, and the power. <laughs> but he was a scientist, and he went on, you know, he basically came to the conclusion that this was not ultimately was not a good decision that he made so they had 10 children 3 children died very early mm. and then 3 were infertile and he suspected that it was due to incest he did a lot of studies and he recorded the health of his family throughout his, throughout their lives And um, he did a lot of studies on plants and animals, trying to really get a solid understanding of whether incest was really negatively affecting Mm -hmm. the family. And I think he did those because of the you know personal decision that he made.
0: Now legally, you're allowed to marry your second cousin, correct? Nowadays, I think
1: so. Yeah, I think in some places you can still you can actually marry your first cousin.
0: But is it that by your it's your second cousin or? it, it, at one point it, there's enough discrepancy within your DNA that it's, it, the risks are reduced. Is that how it works?
1: I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, it also depends on the situation. I mean, some of these stories that I was reading as I went through this, like, you know, major rabbit hole of incest, which is pretty interesting.
0: That, uh, Google search uh, history. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of situations where that, you know, the children only had one set of grandparents.
0: Wow! You're
1: supposed to have four grandparents, people. At least. <laughs> At least. I mean, can you have more? You
0: can't yeah. biologically. No, more. not biologically. But I'm just thinking, like when when yeah. people divorce, yeah. get remarried, sure. etc.
1: Yes. I mean, anyway, I mean, so like, what does that mean?
0: That your your brother is also your cousin?
1: Thirty-eight out of the sixty-two descendants of Charles and Emma's grandfather did not have children who survived past childhood.
0: Now, is that also uh, like a indicator of just the, the time? Like a sign of the I times? Mean, mor- child yeah, mortality, I mean, because infant mortality was rather high back in the 1800s, right? Early 1800s.
1: Yes, but infertility wasn't, and they had other ailments. They were just like sick all the time. Mm. I mean, granted, people were sick all the time. And then these people also lived like, I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, these people lived like, tremendous life of leisure you know? I mean, if you're just sitting around bored all the time, and then you can think of all the, you know, really let your, your issues grab a hold of you. So they were very much in love. They had a nice marriage. But yeah, I think it was something that he deeply regretted later on in life. But even though he had a happy marriage and loved his family very much, unfortunately, he was tormented by this decision saying even that we're a wretched family and ought to be exterminated. Because he was so upset. Oof. Um, yeah, he said that every single one of his children seemed to have some sort of issue. Their son Charles passed away as a as a toddler. They had a daughter who was bedridden and had horrible digestive illnesses. They had other children who had convulsions. Every child had some sort of malady. I mean, it just sounds pretty terrible. I mean, someone who's, you know, incredible scientist, must have really had a hard time figuring all this out and coming to terms with it. You know? Right,
0: a tremendous amount of remorse too to, to say, to exterminate your family. That's awful.
1: Yeah, So incredible. And then I think his son went on to marry, still went on to marry his first cousin after that. Interesting. So, yeah.
0: And it's, I think it's interesting in the sense that he studies evolution. Uh, that he's Probably exploring it a little bit up close within his own family dynamics as well. How common was that back then? I mean, we're referring to like monarchs and royals, etc., and, and dynasties. I don't know. I I don't feel as though Charles Darwin was like that. You know, doing something that terribly uncommon was he?
1: No, I mean, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it was pretty common at the time. Yeah. I think it was fairly normal. I, you know, I think when it just happens, like, repeatedly, mm-hmm. it's especially bad.
0: Yeah. Well, when you were telling that first story about the separate twins separated, it reminded me of um, a high school scandal. Uh, I, I won't use anyone's names. Uh, there was these these two kids uh, in our my freshman class that were dating each other. I, I went to a really big high school. Like, my graduating class was like 730. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah and, like, like, subsequent classes were even larger. Um, and that was, like, by the time they graduated. So, freshman year probably had an extra 100 kids in it. So, and it was, it's a regional high school, and it feeds three middle schools. And each of those middle schools, I think, have, like, three or four elementary schools in it. So, Something like nine different towns are all feeding into this one very large high school. So there's all these people, like there's people that I did not even know that were in my in my graduating class. It's it's not uncommon to be like, Oh, you graduated that year. Do you know this person? I'm like, nope. <laughs> not even close. Couldn't even tell <laughs> yeah, you who they are. Right. Um and it doesn't mean anything about yourself or that other person. It's just like, you know, a lot of people. So anyway. These two, these two freshmen meet each other in a class and they are like totally smitten and they're like one of those couples that you see in the hallways, they're always holding hands and making out and doing all the things that like freshmen lovebirds do. And then one like Monday or Tuesday, it's like gossip wildfire, it's going everywhere. Did you hear that so-and-so and so-and-so just found out they're cousins? And everyone's like, what? How'd that happen? wait, how do you just find out? And it like turns out that they, I guess their parents were siblings or were cousins or no, they weren't, they kind of been siblings. So they weren't like first cousins, but they were definitely like second cousins. They were somehow related, but that parts of the family didn't talk to each other and it was like literally they were going through each other's photo albums and being like oh I know that person oh I know that person and then someone you know probably an inquisitive parent like tell me about who you're dating again what's their last name do we know them from and all of a sudden and it was kind of like well what do they do what do they do and they did they dated for like the rest of the week <laughs> and then they wound up breaking up and I I I remember feeling so badly because it's like now you're the butt of jokes Right. And it was so heartbreaking because I, as far as I could tell, they seemed to very much care for each other. There didn't seem to be problems in the relationship, but it was also, I mean, you're not going to marry whoever you're dating freshman year of high school. No, uh, you're not. That's unlikely. what I was going to say.
1: I mean, it's not too bad. Um, it's unlikely. I don't know if you remember at Sat Inc, there, was a, there was a receptionist who was married to her cousin, and she was from a small island in South America. I can't remember what the island was. But she said that they had the same last name. And they weren't closely related. But they had the same last name. And she said it was pretty normal. Because there just wasn't there wasn't very many people to choose from.
0: I remember her. She was super cute.
1: Yeah, she was super cute. She was fun. Yes. Too. Was
0: I, I liked and her. And funny. Yes. Yeah. I liked her. I don't... Oh, I didn't remember that detail about her.
1: Yeah, so... Maybe not so lighthearted, but possibly interesting.
0: I found some it. People. I found it interesting. I feel like we need a lot of different uh, visual aids regarding, like, the Habsburg dynasty, and I never knew about Darwin.
1: Yeah, I just found it to be ironic, you know, that he was a scientist and studied evolution and married his cousin. Right. One way to stop evolution is to stop being able to well, I
0: guess because I mean a big part of his theory was like breeding out or through evolution and breeding is how we lose certain traits or others become more like, right. powerful strong I don't know what the correct terminology would be but obviously it's it's, it, the fittest. yeah and, and that's an example where um, when you are genetically pairing certain individuals together it does not not bode well. And actually, have you ever seen, um, obviously not with humans here, but with um, dog breeds, what dog breeds used to look like, like 150 years ago versus what they look like now based on the consistent breeding of the same genetic lines over and over. It's like the the dogs don't even look the same anymore.
1: At all. And also there are certain breeds that are completely inbred Mm -hmm. and have very unhealthy maladies. Yeah. So Kim... On a lighter note,
0: <laughs> can I ask you? Ask me. What are you crushing on this week? Oh, I'm prepared again. Yes. Um, actually, so what I'm crushing on, I think it's funny because a couple episodes ago, we were joking about architects or something like that. Oh, it was when you were talking about The Promise and Michael. Oh, right. Michael yes, Hillier. Yes, Michael. Yes, a doctor of architecture, yeah. actually. And like the ripe age of 24 or something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Anyway, uh, I love architects. I had one at my house. That architect is Kelly, graduated with uh, from MassArt, and she now yeah. works. I don't know if it, actually the firm might be partially hers. I'm not sure. If, uh, it's hers. Is yeah, it hers? Yeah. She works with someone else, but I don't know if it's, like, collaborative. I should know these things before pronouncing it, proclaiming it on my podcast. But, one, it was absolutely delightful to see Kelly. She's lovely. She's she's lovely. She's just a lovely human. I love seeing how architects' brains just work differently than other people's brains. I've always just very interested like, architects, engineers, they have brains that work magically different than so many other people's brains. And I, I mean, I like clinically work with like people who are like neuroatypical. Like I get that not all the brains in the world operate the same, but the way engineers and architects can just envision space and problem solve, I just mm-hmm. find so fascinating. And it's just so lovely to, you know, have a, see a friend in a very safe, professional way <laughs> and be like, talk to me about this space and like re-envision it for me. And um, I'm sure she's going to come up with some fantastic ideas that we probably cannot afford, uh, but we're going to, you know, she's going to, she's going to rebuild our dream house within our current house. Can't wait. Yeah,
1: That's amazing. I mean, that's a huge, very exciting thing. That's something to definitely crush on. Oh yeah.
0: And I have to say one of the wonderful things about Lee, I mean, I think I'm really just mostly crushing on her is that she can come in and just, she has such a calm presence. She's just so chill that mm-hmm. she's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, well, we could do this and we move this or we, you know, put a wall here and there. Oh, we know that won't work. Okay, so then we do this and we do that. And it's, she's so smart and on top of it, but just her presence, it's like she leaves and you are like, I don't care if we're house poor forever. You're going to fix the problems. Yeah. <laughs> That was a true delight, and that was what I've been crushing on. It's just this hopefulness and something to look forward to and the pleasure of working with someone that I've known. Gosh, I remember when we lived in the dorms together freshman year. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. And what about you, my dear? Tell me what you're crushing on. I'm
1: also prepared this week, Kim, okay? So... (laughs) whatever
0: um no that's i don't this is not
1: that is not a judgment no statement. no 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 why
0: don't you read your notes marielle
1: yeah i <laughs> am crushing on coral babies
0: what
1: are those i'm crushing on coral babies that are basically uh, crib crushing on crib which stands for coral rearing in c2 basin crib which is basically an inflatable raft that has tiny little coral larvae in it. And they are floating around right now in Bonaire, where I long to be, where, where I'm always crushing, and they are rebuilding reefs. And it's, you know, it's just part of, you know, part of, you know, Our reefs are dying. It's a really big, Mm. terrible, terrible deal, and it's huge, and we have to figure out a solution for it, and this is one possible solution. So I'm crushing on these adorable little cribs that also look like something fun to hang out in in the water, but they aren't. They're not for hanging out in, and (laughs) also you need to be very – yeah, you have to be very careful of them. They work – They require – there's basically what I I – I saw it because it was an alert saying, like, if you're here, you need to give clearance to this crib. But I'm really excited. I hope it works. That's great. I'm crushing on and loving and rooting for these coral babies.
0: Come on, coral babies. So do the baby corals attach themselves to the flotation device and then build themselves around it, or do they kind of form their own – um structure
1: so you got to look at them because they're pretty amazing to look at they're beautiful little coral babies it's literally a raft and inside the raft are these basins and inside the basins are different kinds of coral larvae i think that they are several varieties like not just one they're in there they're protected and they grow and then I believe they affix themselves to the actual reefs below. 2020 is the first year that Sea Corps is planning coral breeding and restoration activities in South Florida, which is also happening in Bonaire. It makes a lot of sense in Bonaire, especially because Bonaire is outside of the hurricane um, alley and hurricanes ha- do affect coral in a big way.
0: I found it. This is, it does look like a good place to hang out, but obviously don't do that.
1: They're hoping that the babies will grow up to be large and then they can plant them. That's the plan. They're going to plant them. That's a good plan. they... Yeah. But I think that, you know, coral is particularly fragile and my understanding is it's very hard to to transplant. So I'll give some coral baby updates. Um, I, I want coral
0: cams, like how they have panda cam. It's very, it's very important. It is. Important uh, the, reefs, the reefs definitely need to be rebuilt uh for so many reasons for so many different species that thrive in those uh environments
1: yes so rooting for the coral babies that's what i'm crushing on this week i'm crushing on coral babies i'm crushing on the people who are working on this good job people thank you people thank you thank you thank you coral nannies <laughs> coral au <pairs. laughs>
0: that's a charge i could take on yeah I could get I could get behind that. Less not so many dirty diapers. Yeah. No midnight feedings.
1: If we get to hang out in a, basically a flotilla in the middle of the Caribbean, I'm in. I'm in. Sign I'm in. me up. <sighs> maybe I'll sell everything that I own and take my babies to the Caribbean and just focus on coral babies with them. Raising coral babies together with my babies.
0: Alright. I support that dream.
1: All right, Kim. I love you. You're the best.
0: No, you are.
1: All right. Have. It was very nice chatting with you. Yes.
0: As always. The same, same to you. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. And brunch. Brunch. Supper. Yep. Mm -hmm. Tea time. I mean, we talked a lot about Royals.
1: Yep, you're right. Cheerio. Drink tea. Ciao,
0: ciao. Thanks for tuning in. You've heard from us and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have a love story to share? Looking for some advice at the Love Variety? Reach out on email morethanacrushpodcast at gmail.com and find us on Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Special
1: thank you to Natalie Joachim who composed our theme music. We're so appreciative, Natalie. Thank you. We love you.